to another Fran Science Art Immunology podcast and today I'm going to be talking to you about adaptive immunity. When uh, teaching immunology I think that it's really difficult to learn everything in one big lump and so immunologists have tried to make sense of this by essentially um, sort of pigeonholing ideas into sort of and pigeonholing uh, components of the immune system so it can make more sense. And one of the most obvious of these is classifying your immune system into your innate and your adaptive immunity. So in terms of uh, classification and identification, it, it most components do actually fall uh, into these two sort of areas, although there is a little bit of overlap. So the main characteristics when we say your innate immune system innate most people think well you're born with it um, and yes it comes exactly as 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 you are it doesn't really evolve very much uh, or differentiate uh, as you get older um, it is sort of very limited in its diversity your innate immune system we've discussed this when talking about antibacterial mechanisms and what I mean by that is that if something new comes along that your body has never seen before, it's really unlikely that your innate immune system is going to deal with it effectively. It recognises molecules on the surfaces of the bacteria or the pathogen that are so integral to the sort of the functioning of that bacteria that it can't function without it. And so our immune system sort of evolved alongside these sort of bacteria. So pathogen-associated molecular patterns, uh, you know, receptors on our immune ce- in our immune cells recognise those patterns uh, and therefore can phagocytose the bacteria effectively. The other thing is, is that it doesn't have memory at all. It just, it just doesn't remember. So it comes around and, and treats every bacterial infection as a new infection. It doesn't react to you, however. So that's essentially the, the components of the innate immune system um, you know, you have these white blood cells, these phagocytes that come along and they eat things very effectively. The components uh, of the innate immune system are your sort of um, the cells within it. So your phagocytes predominantly, although that's not exclusive because we also have uh, other lymphocytes that are part of the adaptive immune system that can phagocytose although that is unusual your b cells can phagocytose they are not known as uh, your traditionally part of your innate immune system because they are a key component of your adaptive immune system and this is what i mean by it sort of swaps over a little bit so you have uh, your phagocytes your eating cells let's just remember that so you've got your macrophages your neutrophils dendritic cells those cells are the ones that go along and what they do as a job is they eat things. That's what we remember them for. Blood proteins that uh, we predominantly associate with your innate immune system are things like complement. And I've discussed this ad infinitum elsewhere. The non-cellular blood components that we think of in the innate immune system are vast. So we've got skin, mucosal epithelia, the antimicrobial um, molecules, the acid in your stomach. Those key components are what we consider when we, when we think of the innate immune system. And so in contrast, your adaptive immunity um, shares some of these characteristics, but they're not exclusive, as I've said. So in terms of specificity, 
the thing that the adaptive immune system recognises are antigens. Antigens are uh, protein molecules, so proteins that have been broken up into peptides, and that is what our adaptive immune system recognises. They don't recognise pathogen-associated molecular patterns, they recognise antigens from microbes and non-microbes. And the diversity is enormous, it's incredibly large, and that's because the uh, the capacity to recognise is is sort of um, sort of through uh, the receptors on the adaptive immune system, and these are produced by sort of somatic recombination gene segments, loads and loads of different genes. So your adaptive immune system has this amazing diversity, the capacity to recognise pretty much anything that the world can throw at you. It has memory as well. And that's quite an amazing thing. So it has memory that will outlive you. So you may forget, but your immune system will not. Um, and it, it has memory like the, the person who has that. You think of the person you, you know in, in your life you've ever met who has who basically can carry a grudge and they can remember stuff. My nan used to have it from uh, <laughs> my poor auntie Elsie asked for a cup of sugar in 1942 during the war. And uh, she remembered that to her dying day, and she was 98 and could remember very little else, but could remember Auntie Elsie coming around asking for a cup of sugar um, sort of 70-odd years beforehand. So, uh, yes, can remember things. Um, and my and I would say that uh, the memory of the adaptive immune system has a memory better than my old nan could. So gives you an idea of, of where we are in terms of memory. Again, an important uh, facet of both the innate and adaptive immune system is that they don't react to self. It's a really bad thing. It's a really bad idea if your immune system starts to attack you. Uh, and the components are obviously your cells, which are your lymphocytes this time. Cyte, C-Y-T-E, meaning a cell, uh, a cell of the lymph. So your lymph nodes, which are, you know, the, the sort of areas that swell up when you get a sore throat under your armpits, um, sort of in your groin area behind your knees these are your lymph nodes and your lymphocytes sort of reside there the proteins in contrast to the innate immune system uh, which was complement the protein of the innate immune system the adaptive immune system the produces antibodies and we've all heard of antibodies we know um, from the covid19 that you know that if you you have had covid19 if you have antibodies for COVID-19 still in your blood. So we produce antibodies, which are a protein that can bind to the pathogen that we're trying to get rid of very, very effectively. And the components, the cellular and, and chemical barriers, um, we have um, the lymphocytes and epithelia, we have antibodies secreted at epithelial surfaces so that, uh, you know, when you, you in your tear ducts, you can sort of cry out, these uh, antibodies it's very sad so we um we have these sort of very diverse uh, sort of adaptive and innate immune systems and what we're going to talk about today is the adaptive one and specifically the way in which it has that specificity we're going to talk specifically about specificity I think the easiest way of talking about uh, the adaptive immunity is to give you an example of, for example, if you have a viral infection. A difference between a bacterial infection and a viral infection, in a nutshell, is that 
Bacteria do not, as a rule, hijack cells. There are obviously exceptions where you have something like anthrax that goes inside your macrophages and replicates. But uh, the virus, however, needs your cell to survive. A bacterium doesn't. A bacterium can live quite independently in your blood wherever. But a virus has to use your cell as a host. So a a virus comes into your cell, it hijacks your DNA-making equipment and essentially starts to make loads and loads of viral proteins. And so the problem that our immune system has has is essentially you need to be able to identify the fact that a cell that on the surface superficially doesn't have anything that, that is, you know, foreign about it, is actually hosting a whole army of viral proteins. So how do we overcome that? How does our immune system overcome that? And that's pretty much what we have to talk about today. Now, you don't suddenly switch on your adaptive immunity after it sort of immediately you go, right, oh dear, oh, we're getting a little bit of a viral infection now, switch on. It's something that actually dovetails quite beautifully with your innate immunity itself. So the way that your immune system is dealing with phagocytosing cells, phagocytosing anything, you know, that, that might have a viral protein in it. Um, this just naturally, as, as a sort of a process of things, just goes up and sort of interacts with your uh, adaptive immune cells and causes activation if that is what is required. You also have some uh, innate immune mechanisms against viral proteins um, and viruses. And these include, I think the nicest one I, I like is actually the production of a type 1 interferon cytokine. I think this is lovely where if you have a viral protein inside your cell, so you have a cell that has become infected, that cell releases a cytokine called type 1 interferon. And the type 1 interferon reacts in a sort of a, a, para, a paracrine fashion. So the cytokine is released and it binds to all the adjacent cells next to it. And in doing so, it protects them from viral infection, which I find amazing. So you have this like little force field in these adjacent cells so that the virus, if it hasn't already infected those cells, the virus can't infect those cells. It just can't. It can't dock. It can't inject itself. So type 1 interferon is, is sort of like a you know, completely protective mechanism of, to stop um, you know, viruses coming along and you know getting into the cells adjacent to them so the one cell that has been infected has effectively protected its neighbors which i think is a really lovely mechanism um of sort of very sort of altruistic almost it's all like protect everyone you don't have to but you do so you have that and then there are also um more non-specific thing cells called uh, natural killer cells which can come along and kill infected cells um, chronologically, it's something that has to happen in the presence of other um, mediators that are created by the adaptive immune system. So natural killer cells are another mechanism of innate non-specific immunity, uh, which we haven't yet covered um, yet in very great detail. And maybe, maybe I'll talk about it in a future podcast. So, you know, within the first five days let's say of viral infection there's not much happening in terms of your adaptive immunity at this point uh there there are sort of rumblings where you start to get a few uh, activated adaptive immune cells but really it only comes at sort of after about a week where you can start to get noticeable 
um, increases. And what you see are increases in your circulation of the immune components, the adaptive immune components that are really going to eradicate um, the established infection and protect against infection. And those are your antibodies and your cytotoxic T cells. So your cytotoxic T cells will essentially kill any infected cells. So even if they're your cells, the cytotoxic T cell can recognise the fact that those cells are infected with a protein that is alien, that is foreign, uh, and kill them. And the other mechanism is obviously antibodies. We've all heard of antibodies. What does it, what does an antibody do? Uh, again, that's for another a future podcast, I think, uh, because these, you know, we have to keep these, we can go on and on and on and on, but I think uh, even the best of us can't stay here for hours and hours and hours listening to me and my, my delightful voice. So we have uh, antibodies and B, ce- B cells uh, which produce antibodies and these sort of really start to, you get the production of antibodies and they, they sort of hit their peak about 10 days after infection. Uh, viral specific cytotoxic T cells really sort of hit their peak after a week after infection. So you find that once you get a significant rise in these in antibodies and virus specific cytotoxic T cells, you start to see virus levels going down. So if you were sort of to imagine a graph where you have sort of your days after your virus infection from zero all the way onwards, and uh, you sort of on the sort of y-axis you have the magnitude of, of response or infection you find that essentially your virus levels are going up and they sort of form this big like hill this hillock a sort of and, and it's known as sort of as a bell-shaped curve and they kind of go up and up and up and up and they reach a peak and they start that peak starts to decrease again once you get a significant increase um, in your cytotoxic T cells. So the virus will hit a peak um, about five days and that starts to sort of sort of drop off once you have your cytotoxic T cells and drops off more significantly once you have an increase in antibody. So really, um, if, you, if you are going to fight an infection and, in fa- and fight it effectively, um, that's, a, that's a sort of a, in a nutshell timeline the next question when talking about this if we're going to talk about it chronologically is why is it taking so long um well there's a question of why is it taking so long what 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 possible philosophical reason can we have and i think that if you if you sort of step back it would be sensible to not have uh, the such a ferocious response to something unless you really um are absolutely sure that what you are fighting is a virus it could be something else um and that's why we we sort of have memory memory allows us and enables us to sort of bring out cells in a much quicker fashion so that we can get rid of the virus much more quickly we already know that this virus is something not very nice we already have that knowledge that's what memory that's what our memory cells do but in the first instance when you first come across uh, something you, you you want to make sure that you're absolutely sure that that's something that you really don't want you don't want to accidentally mistake it for something benign and then have a massive immune response against it so that's the first sort of philosophical that's probably i think why that might be a, a reason why the other reason of why does it take so long is that as i've said there is a lovely uh, sort of a dovetailing between your innate immunity responses to an infection 
coordinating with your adaptive immunity in such a way that, you know, by four or five days, you will have enough uh, adaptive immune system to come out and fight the infection. And it happens because if we imagine that you have your innate immunity, you have epithelial barriers, you have phagocytes, you have, we do have our natural killer cells, we have complement there, all of those things that are trying to fight infection. And that works really well for acute inflammation and for acute infection for about 12 hours. Um, and then after that time, you've, we will, you will have your phagocytes that essentially will have phagocytosed a lot of debris, a lot of injured cells, a lot of bits and bobs, and they will be phagocytosing and processing all of those bits of protein. The cells themselves, those phagocytes, those eating cells, will have processed those bits of protein and presented them on their surface. And they, they're sort of these bits of protein that are broken down are called antigens. So if you eat something or if you're producing something in your cytosol or you have cytosolic proteins, um, the breaking down of those big proteins into peptides, into antigens, um, is essentially then presented on the surface of your cell, and it's called antigen presentation. The antigen presenting cell, so this is phagocytes such as dendritic cells, um, mononuclear phagocytes like macrophages, will then have this capacity to go into the lymph, the lymphatic drainage, which is what's happening all the time, where they go up to the lymph nodes, when they will come into contact with your T cells, which is where they hang out in the sort of T cell zone. So the antigen presenting cell can present whatever it's been eating to a naive T cell in the lymph. Uh, a naive T cell means a T cell that has no memory. It's never come into contact with anything before. And on the surface of the naive T cell will be a receptor. Uh, so every T-cell will have a different T-cell receptor and this T-cell receptor will be able to recognise an antigen. Maybe it's the antigen being presented to it, maybe it is not, we do not know. So you have literally thousands and thousands and thousands of naive T-cells in your lymph node just being produced, you're just sitting there and they, um, let's just say, they, they wait for the antigen presenting cell to come up and just see, can we match? It's a bit like blind date. Are we gonna? Are we gonna match? Are we gonna kind of get on? And so, if your T cell receptor has um, a similar kind of antigen pattern, uh, so that it can bind with the antigen that is being presented to it by the antigen presenting cell, then that naive T cell will become activated. And once it becomes activated, it will proliferate. And if it prolifer and proliferate, then it becomes effective and out it goes into the body and starts killing things. Now, one of the uh, reasons that an antigen presenting cell is able to do this so effectively um, and doesn't just sort of bind to other cells with antigens, because surely if you are eating something or if you have proteins inside you, why aren't, why aren't all our cells activating T cells? Why, why not if we're all kind of like producing proteins all the time? And the answer is, is that in order to activate a T cell, in order for a T cell to actually have its T cell receptor come into close contact with an antigen, the antigen needs to be presented on a specific molecule uh, called an MHC molecule. 
Um, so it's a bit like a, a plate. You can't just randomly show up with sort of with with an antigen. You need to present it properly uh, in the right way, in the right fashion. And this is done on an MHC molecule. And again, this is covered in a another podcast uh, specifically titled MHC. And MHC stands for Major Histocompatibility Complex. So the antigen-presenting cell has phagocytosed all of this bad stuff, and it's gone through a whole series of, of events within it so that it actively can mature and start to present its proteins on its surface in the right way. And having done that in the right way, it, it uh, is in the lymph by now. And you have these naive T-cells which have T-cell receptors that may or may not bind to the antigen and upon binding to the antigen, they start to become activated. So you find that uh, B lymphocytes work, uh, B cells work in a slightly different fashion in the sense that they don't need antigen presentation to happen. B cells just do it all by themselves. They um, don't require this middleman. And as I said before, they also can phagocytose. So what a B lymphocyte has, um, is a B cell itself, looks like a little ball of st with little sticks all over it and in fact if you look very closely at these little sticks on the b-cell you'll actually see they're tiny 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 versions of antibodies uh, all the same type of antibodies so the b-cell um, has the surface of this antibody the little y shape of the arms and that binds to the pathogen and if it happens to be again um, a sort of a the the antigen part the antigen binding fragment of that tiny little B cell acts as a receptor. And if they fit, if it fits and it can bind to the pathogen, it will phagocytose it and then it will start to proliferate and, you know, with a bit of T, help, T helper cell help, starts to proliferate and make loads and loads, ultimately loads and loads of antibodies. That takes ages. There's loads of little steps in there. So you find that your adaptive system, you have your cytotoxic T cells that are being activated in the lymph. Um, and these do exactly what they say. They eradicate the virus um, or infected cells. Or even if you have tumor cells, they will uh, get rid of those. Your helper T cells are um, helping in, form, in, in terms of producing um, antibodies and also activating your cytotoxic T cells. Your B cells, these are able to differentiate into antibody-producing plasma cells with the correct stimulus from your helper T cells. So you have lots of different uh, components of your adaptive system. The helper T cells are really pivotal to, pivotal to the whole thing. If your helper T cells don't work, nothing else will. It's, it's, that's just going to be, it's just game over. So your helper T cells are really fundamental to getting things started. And this is covered in the uh, T-cell podcast later on. Now, I'm going to briefly touch on the MHC because MHC is this molecular marker, which, as I've said, its, its role is to present antigens on the surface of a cell. If you don't have an MHC, you are invisible to your immune system. Your T-cells cannot recognise you. If you don't have an MHC, your T-cells cannot recognise antigen, they just can't do it. And in fact, this this has been sort of um, some certain cancers have cottoned onto this and you find that some aggressive cancers uh, can down-regulate a cell's MHC markers. So if you have a, a cancer 
um, you know, in sort of a bowel cancer or something, you find that in those bowel cells, um, they don't have MHC. And what that means is that they therefore can't get appropriate presentation of antigen. And it also means that they are invisible to your adaptive immune system. Your adaptive immune system has to have the MHC molecule presenting the antigen to it. If, it, if it's not there, your T cells cannot recognize the infected cell. It's really, really important. So the MHC is, it, it enables the T cells to sort of latch on. It's actually a, a thing that physically allows your T cells, your cytotoxic T cells to latch on and sort of say, who are you, you? Now, the other thing is, is that what happens if the MHC molecule isn't you? What happens if the MHC molecule or if the cell you have is a foreign cell, so the MHC molecules are foreign? And this is a premise of MHC molecules. Everybody's MHC molecule is unique to them. They, uh, it displays, although it displays the antigenic contents, it is unique to us all. And so therefore, it is something that enables us to identify us as us and to identify foreign molecules as uh, sort of foreign molecules. And because all nucleated cells express the type 1 major histocompatibility complex, the type 1 MHC, the T cell receptors can also, in addition to recognising antigen, can recognise um, MHCs that are not part of us. So it's something called allorecognition. And we use and we understand this because actually think about when you are trying to donate a kidney or you have some kind of transplant, you know, without actually really knowing it, sort of, but you know that you have to have a match. Uh, and you never knew what it was you were matching. You were matching the cell types. And the way we can identify what a cell looks like, because if actually, frankly, if you look at a cell under a microscope, they all look the same. If we look at the molecular level, the thing that identifies your cells as yours and my cells as mine are the little MHC molecules on their surfaces. And so our T cells can also do that. So when they're latching on to the MHC and having a look at a little check of the antigen, they can identify if that MHC is part of you or if it actually belongs to someone else. And because we have such a large diversity of MHCs, because it's something like 200 different alleles or something, um, it is really difficult to have uh, identical MHCs, even within a family. And the only person within, within a family who would have an identical MHC is if you had an identical twin. And what this enables us to do is to really reject foreign things, even if you're in the same species, you just don't want that rejection. And as I've said, there are species on this planet that do have limited MHC diversity uh, and therefore they, they tend to be quite uh, on the endangered species list. And they include uh, cheetahs, beavers, giant pandas, Tasmanian devils and so on and so forth. So what our adaptive immune system recognises are antigens. Antigens are molecules presented on these MHCs that initiate the adaptive immune response. And once your antigen is eliminated, your adaptive immune response switches off. Now, each lymphocyte, each T cell, is genetically programmed to recognise only one antigen. And there are only a tiny proportion of all the other antigen, all the other lymphocytes present. So once an antigen is bound, your lymphocytes proliferate and they do. But how many 
T cells are actually able to recognize any one antigen. Is it low? I mean, you know, you, you're going to need you're going to need a load of cells. So, you know, how many are going to recognize one tiny antigen section? And the answer is 16. 16, one six. There are six, approximately 16 T cells amongst all the other T cells in your body and distributed randomly all throughout your body that are capable of identifying an antigen and capable of, ge of generating an immune response to that antigen in less than six days. So that's, that's a real investment of, of, uh, you know, of, of activity. And so you find you have these naive T cells that, you know, 16 naive T cells that within six days proliferate to an extent that you produce thousands and thousands of these T cells and then you fight the infection. And then once the antigen has been eradicated, those T cells, they apoptose, they die, they die off. It's a really bad idea to just have activated T cells randomly going around your body uh, with nothing to do. And at each one of these stages, in the naive stage, activation, proliferation, and also apoptosis, your body produces memory cells. So it's, it's kind of like a, as you earn, it's like a bank account. As you earn money, you put a little bit aside for your savings, in your savings account. And that's your memory T cells sort of savings. So you have your naive T cells, produce some memory T cells for that. Proliferation, produce some more memory T cells. Apoptosis, memory T cells along the entire process. So this pathogen eradication, it's a stepwise process, naive proliferation, apoptosis, but it cannot work without the innate immune system that has to detect the pathogen. So the lymphocyte has to recognize that your cells are infected through its presentation. And then the adaptive immune system can then get its get act together and start to become uh, initiated. So in summary, that's our adaptive immune system whistle-stop tour as always. Uh, so the viruses and your infections that really need a targeted, specific um, action really uh, involves your adaptive immunity. And uh, your cytotoxic T cells are essentially going to target cells uh, that are infected and there is very little collateral damage. So if you have one infected, T, one infected cell and next to it are a whole load of uninfected cells, only that infected cell will be killed. Um, it, there will be very, very little collateral damage. The cytotoxic T cells may release some cytokines that may influence the, and impact uh, the behaviour of the surrounding environment. But actually, the, the targeted killing of something is only going to occur um, in infected cells themselves with very little else. So they're really, really specific. When we say that the adaptive immunity is specific, it is really specific. And the mechanism by which uh, cytotoxic T cells uh, kill things um, is for another podcast. This gives you a lovely overview, however, of how our adaptive immunity is switched on and how and the components within it and how it is able to recognise the fact that you have an infection and that you have something that needs to be gotten rid of. So that's all for me today. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Join me next time for more immunology with Fran Science Art. And thanks for listening.